This episode is brought to you by Katsu Training. Katsu bands incorporate blood flow moderation training that trick the body into thinking that it's lifting heavier weights than it actually is. When traditional weightlifting requires you to reach 70 to 80% of your one repetition maximum to stimulate muscle hypertrophy, then Katsu achieve that effect only at 20 to 30%. So it's perfect for treating injuries or use when you don't have access to heavy weights. Research about Katsu bands also shows it lowers blood pressure, speeds up recovery from injuries, releases stem cells, builds muscle, burns fat, and prevents age-rated muscle loss. These things are a game changer and I use them almost every day. If you want to try out the Katsu cycle bands, then use the code SEAM for a 10% discount at katsu-global.com. That's katsu-global.com and the 10% code is SEAM, S-I-I-M. And, you know, given that the topic or the theme of this conference is optimizing your entire day, then I wanted to give a presentation about what, how do you you know, find this optimal rhythm for eating and uh, fasting, etc. Because the topic of, you know, circadian rhythms and chronobiology, it's becoming pretty popular. And we now know that it's not only what you eat that matters, but when you do it as well, which is quite critical. So that's going to be the purpose of my speech, is to, to kind of give you this unified theory of uh, optimal meal timing and fasting based on the research that we currently have. And Mahatma Gandhi got it right in some sense as well. So he has a quote, each night when I go to sleep, I die. And the next morning when I wake up, I am reborn. So this is a pretty good quote for describing these uh, circadian rhythms and uh, the day and night cycles of our environment because it reflects not only in our inner physiology, but also the you know, light and uh, darkness as cues that happen on a daily basis. You know, there's morning, there's night, there's life, there's death, and all these things, they're happening inside your cells, within your cells, inside every other organ or in between these processes. So it's a really fascinating topic, and all these things are kind of interlinked with each other. And uh, research has actually shown that, yeah, misalignment of these rhythms between your own body and your own biology, between the one of the environment, plays a pretty critical role in health, longevity, and uh, any other you know, physiological process. And misalignment is linked to many diseases and uh, you know, accelerated aging. And actually, in 2017, the circadian rhythms were awarded or the, the discoveries about the circadian rhythms were awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine by these three men. And they identified the specific protein in fruit flies that regulates the circadian clocks of these animals. Um, and now, by now, we know that inside, in, in humans, within all cells and within all organs are also individual um, circadian clocks that are connected with a master clock inside your brain. So there's the most important main regulator inside your brain's uh, hippocampus, but there are also many other clocks inside your you know, vital tissues and uh, cells. So they're all kind of communicating with each other. And uh, research has actually shown yeah, that misalignment from these circadian rhythms and disruptive uh, Disrupt, disruptions is uh, linked to shortened lifespan in mammalian cells and other life organisms. And um, the problem is that as you get older, 
you inevitably will experience some mild disruption in your, in your own circadian rhythms. And for example, younger people, they tend to exhibit a much more robust and much more resilient uh, circadian pattern throughout the entire day. And uh, they tend to be more, you know, they tend to be healthier as a result of that as well. Whereas on the other hand, as you get older, these uh, variations or these patterns, they become less robust and they become more stagnant and uh, older people tend to be more vulnerable to the circadian disruption, so to say. Their bodies are becoming less able to detect the cues that are coming from the environment and this is just another sign of accelerated aging. And the, the kind of caveat to this is, or the challenge is, how do you maintain proper circadian rhythm throughout your entire lifetime, not only in your daily activities, but also like the meal timing and the food intake, so to say. Fortunately, there are a few ways of um, slowing down this process, as well as uh, preventing the disruption from taking place. So for example, it's been shown that calorie restriction can reverse this negative side effect of aging, which is the disruption in circadian rhythms. And this particular study found that calorie restriction or dietary restriction, eating less calories, eating less food, it's uh, able to reverse this aging process that is uh, caused by circadian disruption. And this happens because calorie restriction is like a stressor on your body. It causes damage in some aspects and it's you know, harmful in, in uh, small amounts, but it's a positive stressor, it's like a hormetic stressor that actually will yield benefits in the future. Your body adapts to it and as a result, it's able to you know, become more resilient and more robust against the circadian disruption. And uh, it also is mediated through the functioning of NAD metabolism. So NAD is one of the main enzymes that your body produces, and NAD produces energy as well. It's required for essentially all physiological processes, and uh, low NAD levels tend to be correlated with aging, and you, like, you, if your body doesn't have enough energy, then you know, nothing's gonna work. And the, the idea of a being able to still produce NAD thanks to calorie restriction, that's kind of the, one of the main mechanisms by which calorie restriction can uh, reverse aging. And yeah, as I, showed, as I told you, NAD reduction happens as you get older. You know, older people have less NAD because they're not as youthful. Their body isn't able to produce enough of it. And it's like a vicious cycle as well. If you are already experiencing less NAD, you're already tired, then you don't have the energy to do anything about it as well. Versus if you're young, then you, at least even if you're tired, then you can still do something about it but your body is still, because your body is still able to produce some NAD naturally, versus as you get older, your body's NAD production tends to drop as well, so it becomes less effective at producing it. Uh, NAD metabolism is very much mediated through sirtuins. So sirtuins are these proteins that are associated with increased lifespan and longevity in uh, all species as well as humans. So sirtuins are actually one of the critical regulators of the circadian rhythms as well. So they're stress adaptation genes that help to mediate the metabolism of NAD as well as 
it, they help your body to regulate its own circadian rhythms and the circadian clocks that are working inside your body. So, for example, CERT1, there are many CERT2 in genes, several, quite several of them, and CERT1 is uh, it's, it's thought of that CERT1 is like a retrostat or a mediator between the circadian uh, cues that are coming from the environment and your body's circadian clocks through one of the G clock, clock genes called clock. And uh, also, sirtu sirtuins help to produce NAD. Although sirtuins themselves consume NAD, they help to reproduce it, so to say. So NAD is produced in like a cyclical manner. Although if some activities are consuming NAD, that same process through a salvage pathway helps to reproduce it. So it's like a recycling process where your body is able to uh, re recreate NAD and in so doing, create energy. And uh, ca calorie restriction works because of sirtuins as well, in addition to NAD, because of the same uh, cyclical process. So in virtually all species, calorie restriction has been shown to extend lifespan and uh, short or sh slow down aging, in, a, in, in addition to humans, like C. elegans, which are roundworms, mice, and yeast, they all live longer if you, quote unquote, starve them and if you feed them less calories. And the reason has to do with the same mechanism of stress adaptation. When your body feels that it's experiencing uh, higher amounts of nutrient stress, then it's going to activate these sirtuins, which are these longevity genes that essentially start to repair broken DNA and they start to re-salvage NAD as well. So it's a quite fascinating, you know, it's quite a paradoxical phenomenon in a sense that you're breaking down, you're experiencing starvation, but because of that, you're also helping your body to survive longer. And it's called, it's, you know, uh, it's called the information theory of aging, so to say. There are many reasons why you age, but one of the, um, one of the core mechanisms has to do with how your body is interpreting the epigenome and sirtuins give the epigenome the right signal of how do you stay young and basically they stimulate some sort of a survival circuit in your body of you need to survive for longer and you need to stay longer <laughs> and inhibiting sirtuins, inhibiting circadian rhythms or disrupting them just deranges this process and uh, accelerates aging. In addition to sirtuins calorie restriction also works because of this thing called autophagy. You know, there are many things that happen while you are restricted calories. You uh, suppress insulin, you reduce mTOR signaling, and uh, you prevent the mitochondria from breaking down, but all of those things work because of autophagy as well. So autophagy is the process of self-eating and uh, self-catabolism which happens also when you are calorie restricted and when you're basically starving. So uh, during the process of autophagy, your cells begin to recycle their old and worn out components and they're going to break those things down that are you know, dragging you down, that are causing damage and spreading inflammation and spreading disease. They're, those things are broken down and they're recreated back into energy that the healthy cells can start to use. And if you, let's say, block the process of autophagy in some species, then those animals, they're not going to live longer despite eating less calories. Uh, whereas if they have autophagy activated, then they will live longer thanks to calorie restriction. So the goal isn't as much as trying to restrict your calories and trying to starve. 
as it is to stimulate autophagy because so the, the magic of calorie restriction happens from autophagy, it happens from sirtuins, and it happens from NAD. So as biohackers, we don't have to try to mimic the diet of some calorie-restricted mice. We don't, have to eat that. we don't have to eat like that. We would have to know how do we you know, optimize the processes of autophagy and optimize the processes of sirtuins and circadian rhythms and those sort of things. So yeah, this is, this is a good example of how can we make this process work. And autophagy, in addition to that, has also many other health benefits, such as, like I mentioned, it recycles old and weak cell, cell parts, reduces inflammation, has anti-aging effects, and strengthens the immune system as well. So it's not only good for longevity, but general health and vitality. But the thing with autophagy and these many other hormetic stressors is that the poison is in the dose. So too much of anything is going to be bad. Too much starvation, too much exercise, too much sauna, too much coffee, those things, they're eventually going to hit a point of diminishing returns after which they're not causing you good, but they're actually going to be doing you harm. And the same applies to fasting and calorie restriction and autophagy. So usually most people, they still don't experience enough autophagy. They're like deficient of it. But at the same time, if you overdo it, then that's not good either. You have to find this optimal dose and uh, optimal amount for these uh, pathways. So how do you activate autophagy? Well, there are a few ways of doing it, such as prolonged fasting, not eating for anything for a long time is a very potent stimulator of it, but also exercise. Exercise stimulates these same pathways such as sirtuins and autophagy. So, um, you know, that's another example of you don't necessarily have to be fasting as long as you're staying active and physically, you know, vibrant. And of course, calorie restriction, suppressing insulin, reducing your carbohydrate intake can help. And there are also like some specific autophagy boosting foods that also stimulate this uh, process, such as coffee, uh, herbal teas, medicinal mushrooms, those things. They're really awesome in doing that. Okay, moving on. The kind of idea that I want to end up with is that time-restricted eating has these unique metabolic benefits thanks to stimulating these uh, pathways that I just uh, mentioned, such as sirtuins and autophagy. And um, this study found that time-restricted feeding without reducing calorie intake prevents metabolic disease in mice who are fed like a junk food diet. And they took two groups of mice, one group ate throughout the entire day, throughout the entire 24-hour period, and uh, they had much worse health outcomes and they became obese compared to those mice who were able to eat the same amount of food, the same amount of calories, but within only eight hours. So they compressed their daily eating window within a shorter time frame, and because of that, they gained these unique metabolic benefits and they didn't get obese because of that. So to say, they were able to protect themselves against this. And then another study found the same. They took three groups of mice. One was able to eat throughout the entire 24-hour period. The second one ate within 13 hours. And the last one ate within three hours, which is basically like once a day. And they found that the mice who, were a who ate with no restrictions, they didn't experience life extension, they didn't experience any disease protection, but the mice who were uh, restricted in the time where they ate, those mice saw increased lifespan as well as improved metabolic health. 
And actually, the, the group that was eating only once a day saw a much greater improvement than the one who was able to eat only within 13 hours. So it's another example that although they're eating the same amount of calories, the same amount of food, they're experiencing these uh, unique metabolic benefits that don't happen if you're constantly in this fed state and eating throughout the entire day. And one of the uh, scientists of that study said that increasing daily fasting times without a reduction of calories and regardless of the type of diet consumed resulted in overall improvements in health and survival in male mice. Perhaps this extended daily fasting period enables repair and maintenance mechanisms that will be absent in continuous exposure to food. So yeah, it's the activation of sirtuins, activation of autophagy that happen in the fastest state that uh, give this rise, that give these mice these effects. But there's also studies in humans, the same study, like uh, uh, they took, they compared the standard way of eating within 12 hours with an early time restricted feeding group where the group ate from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. So they basically ate within only six hours. And they also saw a reduction in blood pressure, reduced oxidative stress, uh, reduced insulin, and just better metabolic health compared to eating the standard way. So it does work in humans as well because the, we have similar um, you know, mechanisms and similar patterns in our physiology. And this study was also, this is the, the, the is, is example of how it look like, looks like. The, the one group, early time restricted feeding group, ate from, from uh, morning until noontime or something, and they skipped, breakfast, skipped dinner, and they fasted for much longer than the other group, and they saw better health outcomes. But this, group, this study actually compared the, what's the difference between eating earlier and eating later if you're fasting. And they found that there were no differences as long as the hours of fasting were matched. So in the initial period of the study, they, one group ate from, uh, I believe it was from uh, like 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. or from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then they did a washout period for two weeks where they ate normally to negate some of the adaptations. And in the last part, they swapped it out. The one who, who ate early in the first part then ate later in the day and vice versa. So they swapped it. And they saw that there were no differences uh, between these groups. They, all of the groups who are fasting or you know, they were confining their eating window, they saw a reduction in blood glucose, reduced insulin, and better metabolic health. But during the period that they weren't fasting, they were eating normally, then those uh, benefits were kind of mitigated or uh, they were uh, not present. They didn't see the same benefits compared to the period where they were fasting. But the, dif the difference is very small, but it's still there. It's still, there is some uh, effects that is taking place thanks to compressing the eating window. So what essentially happens is that if you're eating less frequently, then you're staying you're spending more time in this fasted state where you activate sirtuins, you also activate autophagy, you're spending more time in ketosis and uh, burning more body fat, and you're suppressing insulin. So if you're eating the standard way, for example, you know, the average Westerner tends to eat from the moment they wake up all the way until they go to bed. So imagine they're spending the entire day within a fed state and they're never really going into like a real fasted state. 
you know, maybe they fast throughout the night, but that's not like a really long time. It's only like, you know, eight hours, 10 hours. So uh, they don't really ever experience, or they don't experience as much as they could the benefits of autophagy and the sirtuins. So uh, generally, a smaller eating window every day is going to gradually extend the time you spend in this, uh, let's say, in the survival circuit where you stimulate these longevity genes. But in practice, you can, there isn't going to be much difference between maybe eating once a day or maybe eating two times a day as long as the daily time window, eating window is going to be suppressed in some aspect. So um, this is like a pretty good example of how can you achieve this optimal balance between the autophagy as well as the growth every day. Like you just skip one meal. You don't have to, like the idea of having to eat three meals a day. It's pretty normal in our society. But uh, if you look at the history of humans, then it's not normal. Like humans were used to skipping meals all the time. And that's probably the, one of the reasons they were able to stay healthier as well. And uh, yeah, like in an everyday setting, just trying to spend less time in a fifth state would be, would give you like some of these unique benefits that you wouldn't always get as long as the calories were to match. You're not going to be able to eat as many calories as you want. But if you, if you were to compare the same amount of calories, eaten in a smaller time frame, then you could probably see some unique effects. Next to autophagy and sirtuins, you also experience higher levels of growth hormone in a fasted state. So growth hormone is not like a muscle building hormone, but it's more of like a muscle protective hormone that you activate in a fasted state. And the body also reacts to it, reacts to the fasting stimulus with increasing growth hormone as to protect against muscle catabolism and to not lose muscle. It's actually going to promote fat burning instead. And uh, growth hormone also has anti-aging benefits. And uh, it's pretty regular for anti-aging clinics to prescribe injectable growth hormone, but you can actually just fast and get some uh, similar effects with uh, growth hormone. So usually your body releases growth hormone very, in very small amounts throughout the day, but this study found that uh, 24 hours of fasting essentially, I don't know, quadruples the amount of growth hormone you experience uh, in, in, within the daily window. But the majority of growth hormone gets released in uh, sleep, so to say. So that's the time when your body is repairing itself. And that's when your body is also burning the most amount of fat in conjunction with growth hormone. So growth hormone helps to mobilize fat stores and helps to repair the body from the daily activities. So quality sleep is very important if you want to gain these benefits uh, of growth hormone as well as the other longevity genes. So that's why it's not necessarily like a good idea to be eating immediately before bed as well. So that's why compressing it from the other end, from the, from the evening, is also quite critical. And autophagy, like I mentioned, it also has a diurnal rhythm. Most of the autophagy gets processed in deep sleep in conjunction with the sleep hormones like melatonin and in conjunction with growth hormones. So the body consolidates all these repair processes into deep sleep because that's the most time where it has the opportunity to do so. You like sleep reduces your metabolic activities and reduces your core temperature and that's where, you're, where you can repair yourself. And uh, melatonin, the sleep hormone, regulates these processes like autophagy and sirtuins and the circadian clocks. So if you're not sleeping well enough or if you're disrupting your circadian rhythms because of eating too late, 
then you would uh, greatly see like a reduction in uh, the benefits of growth hormone and autophagy and melatonin because you're, if because eating inhibits growth hormone and eating inhibits autophagy. So going bed, you know, slightly hungry can lead to higher levels of uh, autophagy and growth hormone in, in sleep because of your because you're fasting. But in practice, again, that would just mean that you compress your eating window in every day in some aspects. You don't eat immediately after waking up and you don't eat immediately before going to bed. So you consume your calories. You, ca you can eat the same amount of calories. It doesn't mean that you're going to starve yourself. It just means that you eat them in a sm smaller time frame. So I'm going to give you another reason why you shouldn't eat immediately after waking up. It's because of cortisol. Cortisol is the body's main stress hormone and cortisol's job is to kickstart the day, basically, to give your energy and give you alertness to get out and start moving. And uh, cortisol's circadian rhythm uh, starts rising around 6 a.m. and it peaks around uh, 9 a.m. And after that, it begins to drop. So in the evening when you're sleeping, cortisol is supposed to be low because you, you aren't supposed to be stressed out when you're sleeping. Uh, but the problem is that if you're if you're eating with high levels of cortisol, if you have a lot of stress, then that's going to predispose your body to store the calories as fat more easily because you're stressed out. And the cortisol is also like, cortisol helps you to mobilize fat in the morning by giving you energy. So suppressing cortisol immediately by eating is not going to be, it's not, well, it's not going to be that optimal for uh, gaining the benefits of cortisol. Like too much cortisol is bad, but too little cortisol is also not good because you'll, you'll feel tired and you'll not able, you won't have the like vigor to get out and get moving. So uh, waiting like at least like a few hours after waking up to allow cortisol to do its job and to lower down and then eating that's like a good strategy in my opinion. And likewise, melatonin, the sleep hormone, that starts to rise in the evening after uh, after sun has set, and usually that would happen around like. 8 p.m. starts to rise, peaks around 10 p.m. 10 p.m. or something, and uh, gradually starts to reduce in the early morning parts. So that's the time where you're not supposed to be eating because <laughs> humans aren't supposed to eat at night. We're supposed to be uh, active during the daytime and consume our calories during the daytime. And uh, yeah, that's why you want to at least have a, like a few hours before going to bed where you stop eating, as to allow the melatonin to start rising. And lastly, you, sh you should try to restrict the amount of snacking you do and uh, not spend the entire day in a fed state because whenever you do eat, you raise insulin and you also inhibit the production of these uh, longevity genes and longevity pathways like the sirtuins and autophagy. And you're never really going, if you're eating all the time, then you're never allowing your body to really repair itself and uh, give your digestion a break, etc. So, some aspects of you know time-restricted eating is the best bet in terms of uh, optimizing your circadian rhythms with food, and also just giving your body this boost in uh, these uh, longevity genes, because it's such a s simple strategy if you think about it. Like uh, you don't have to do anything; <laughs> you just uh, adapt to it. Your body, it, it, it's 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 not like difficult 
uh, after you get used to it, so to say. It may seem like because the society has conditioned us to be eating all the time, we become somewhat attached to eating all the time and meal timing and having snacks frequently. But you know that's not really natural for the human body, and it's not definitely not optimal for the uh, circadian uh, rhythms as well. So I think I would ho hopefully this would give you like you know a good motivation to practice it in some shape or form. So finally. This would be like the optimal meal timing that would fit the circadian rhythms of humans. So if we start from sleep during the night, your melatonin is supposed to be high, you're supposed to be sleeping, and that's the time you would also be fasting. For average people, that's going to be like six to eight hours. In the morning, cortisol starts rising around 5 to 7 a.m. And uh, that's the circadian kickstart in that moment. I would say it's not the best time to eat either. That would also like to just extend the overnight fast by at least like four to eight hours. And around noon, 10 to 12 a.m., that's where your body is supposed to be the most active and that's where your body is most insulin sensitive. That's the time where you would be able to metabolize the food the best. And that's the period of growth where you nourish yourself. And usually I would say for most people that would the optimal window would be like four to eight hours or you know, four to 10 hours, but you shouldn't try to over exceed the amount of uh, eating from the amount of fasting. Like you don't want to be spending 14 hours fed and only 10 hours fasted because the, 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 it would uh, gravitate more towards predominantly being in a fed state. So I would always say that it's better to be the opposite way around, that you would want to spend slightly more time in a fasted state compared to a fed one. So the minimal effective dose would be like 14 hours of fasted and 10 hours of eating. And there are some other circadian uh, researchers as well that would uh, agree with that. So 12, e 12 hours of eating and 12 hours of fasting, that's not really fasting. or it's, that's, That would be like the very bare essentials of anything. And lastly, before going to bed, you would also have this period of at least two to four hours where you're not eating as to allow your body to start producing melatonin and to prepare for sleep to go into, a, into bed within a semi-fancy state. So yeah, that's the main message of my speech. Try to confine your eating window in some aspects and uh, don't snack that much. <laughs> so if you want to listen more about these topics, then you can find me on social media and my website is also seamland.com. So thanks for listening.